Welcome back to the Podcast Positivity Show with your host, me, Marlena G. So, we are going to get into this topic today. I would like to talk about um, staying strong through uh, times of uncertainty. Uh, When you feel like you don't really know what it is that God has in store for your life or which way you should be uh, journeying or going. I just want to give out some encouragement for you to not give up and to stay the test of time because God is definitely a faithful God and he'll do what he says he'll do. Um, I know for myself, I have had to encourage myself at times to stay strong and not fall out of the fight. You know, life gets pretty hard and, um, you know, things happen. But, you know, for the most part, we can rest in the fact that uh, we do have a savior that never leaves us or forsakes us. And that's with us always. And that can definitely help us through uh, some pretty rough times. And he promises to be with us and help carry us through those things in life that's hard for us. You know, so I just want to lend out some encouragement today um, on that subject. Uh, I have my uh, light for my path book that I've shared from on season one. And I, I have some scripture that uh, should be able to hold you over, kind of tie you over down in your spirit and your soul. You know, if you're feeling a little lowly today or feeling like you've been fighting a good fight, don't fight too hard because the biggest part of the fight is Christ. And if you're fighting too hard, then that means you're not allowing him to take the wheel. And I'm not just saying this, I'm speaking from experience. I've definitely had my days of trying to fight the battle myself. But Jesus has already won the fought the battle and won the war. So therefore, he's conquered the world. So allow him to fight for you all the more. So I would like to share a book um, that has been uh, very uh, useful and helpful to me in my faith walk. Um, It's called The Light for My Path. And um, I don't quite remember where I purchased this book from. I've had it for a very long time. But I'm sure if you can go on Google or whatever search engine you look things up on, you'll be able to find it by just typing in the keywords light for my path book. It has scriptures for every every area of life. And um, no matter what you're going through or what type of subject or topic that it is, you know, it's a scripture for everything. And so I've definitely kept it as a scriptural resource for myself. And um, if for those of you that has been with me since season one, listening to the podcast positivity show, you'll know that I've shared out of it quite much, but I'm, you know, going further into talking about, you know, not falling out of the fight and keeping your faith and knowing that, you know, you know, God is going to make a way out of no way. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to give up um, on what you've been believing for because maybe it has been a while and you haven't seen the manifestation of the miracle blessings or, you know, the faith uh, bringing things to pass um, that you've been believing in. Keep the faith. Don't give up. 
And so I'm going to go to some of the scripture from the Light for My Path book. And um, Psalms uh, 85 and 8 reads, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. God will speak to you. Listen for the voice of the Lord. All men desire peace, but few desire the things that make for peace. Thomas A. Kempis. Yeah, people, like they want peace, but they want to hold, hold their hands in their lap and they don't want, really want to, you know, do the things or go through the things that uh, can lead them definitely straight to peace. I know standing in your word and, you know, praying a lot of people, they pray once a day. And I'm not saying you have to pray 50 times a day or anything like that. What I am saying is if you really want something to happen, you have to be persistent. So if that means praying three or four times a day on the same topic or subject, you know, getting God's ear, you know, but a lot of people want to sit around and just hope that, you know, something will take place without them activating their faith and without moving. Bible says faith without works is dead. You can't just sit and believe you have to get up, do and believe. So I'm going to go to, um, Luke 7, uh, 50, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. There it is right there. Believe, 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 believe. Go ahead and go in peace. John, uh, 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow, that's powerful. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. Yeah, it's not world peace. It's not the world's peace. Give I, he said I, I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we definitely have to believe that, um, you know, God will give us that peace. We'll receive that peace. In due time, in due time, don't don't fall out of the race. You know, you know you're 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 racing towards um, a specific thing, but you don't want to race and run too fast. You want to sit and you want to glory in the fact that God is leading you every step of the way, and it might not be in the particular way that you see fit or that you would like for it to happen, but it's happening at the pace and the time that is, um, ordained and, uh, blessed by God. You know, we don't want to do things, um, on our own. And that's when you begin to feel exhausted. That's when you begin to feel like you don't have the energy to go on because now you're putting all your energy into trying to make things happen. When in reality, all you have to do is have faith, you know, activate that faith by, going for whatever it is you're believing in and God will do the rest. You know, he'll do the rest. Go for it. Go for it. Go for that thing. Don't be afraid to go for it. But also know that God will do the most part. You don't have to do the most part yourself. Believe that. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? 
When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I really believe I have something special to share with the world, and Anchor is helping me do that. And I love how easy to use their podcasting tools are. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to Anchor FM Start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's Anchor FM Start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. So I definitely want to share from my book, Never Forsaken. It is my personal story uh, that I wrote, a hope-filled message, faith-based message about how uh, Jesus basically saw me through a pretty rough time. I had got a health diagnosis that I wasn't too thrilled about, of course, and um, my son was born disabled and later had to undergo heart surgery when he was just but 10 months old. And so during that time that the doctors were telling me that, you know, um, they really didn't want me to give birth with the condition that I had and things of that nature, I had to definitely pull on God for some strength. And so I just want to share with you some of the poetry that I wrote in this book. This book uh, definitely has the full story of what I went through and how Jesus brought me through that and how I had to choose uh, faith over fear. And it also uh, definitely has quite a bit of poetry throughout it, resources, things like that for parents who are expecting to give birth to a child with a disability or maybe have a health scare in their own bodies. But however, I just uh, hope that this book blesses your life, this passage from this book, and you can find it on Amazon.com. You can also order it on BarnesandNobles.com, Books a Million, um, Baker's Book House. Um, it's at Margrindy's in Dubois. So you definitely can find it internationally at different outlets. I know that you can get it in Dutch and all of that. So um, however the case, um, I'll go ahead and read this poem because I, I really do feel that it's a, a beautiful um strong encouraging poem because it's 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 real it's what i went through it's how i felt at times you know um from support the the kind of support i felt i was getting from people around me um maybe people weren't being so supportive maybe people didn't really understand what i was going through and um i just i just poured my heart out into it so it reads I wrote this poem from the deepest parts of my heart that it may give encouragement and by the grace of God reach far and wide to inspire and bring hope to the people of this world. Saved or unsaved, every living creature on this earth needs God. And when the day is hard to accept and life seems so unpredictable, hold on, stay strong. When people, things, relationships are not enough to keep you smiling, hold on, stay strong. When isolation and loneliness are present, 
Hold on. Stay strong. When you feel you have no purpose, no plan, no way out, hold on. Stay strong. When sickness and disease rears its ugly head, hold on. Stay strong. When abuse crushes your self-esteem, hold on. Stay strong. When lies tear you down, hold on. Stay strong. When foes attack you on all sides, hold on. Stay strong. There is one who came that the children of the world should have life and have it more abundantly. Hold on. Stay strong. There is one who is the repairman of the broken down walls of life. Hold on. Stay strong. There is one who is the Son of Man, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Way, the Truth, and the Light of Life. The one who suffered and conquered death, hell, and the grave only to rise again. Hold on. Stay strong. There is one who delivers us from the hands of our enemies and saves our soul. One who gives us a new beginning and provides the road out. He's been described as Emmanuel, God with us. And his name is Jesus. You must hold on and stay strong. Pick up a copy of this book. I hope that it definitely is encouraging to you. Um, what? <clears throat> excuse me. Whatever you're going through, um, whatever you are faced with today. Um, there's a lot in this uh, poem, like I said, that relates to what I was going through with uh, family people around me. Um, I had a health scare at that time and it was just a lot going on in my life at that moment. And I feel like I'm sitting where I'm sitting at today because God brought me through because his son, Jesus never leaves me nor forsakes me. And that is my book, Never Forsaken. Pick it up. So it is now time for our good deeds around the world today. So I would like to highlight a um, organization called Lutheran World Relief, Sustainable Development, Lasting Promise. At the end of World War II, approximately one-fifth of the world's Lutherans were homeless. Lutheran churches in the U.S. mobilized to send aid to their Christian brothers and sisters in Germany and Scandinavia. Soon the cry of other hunger I'm sorry of other hungry refugees throughout Europe was heard and Lutheran World Relief answered the call by helping anyone in need regardless of faith. Today A network of 100 local partners in 35 countries around the world work to provide relief supplies and other services for lasting long-term solutions to poverty in their communities. LWR provides emergency food, supplies, and cash to to disaster-hit areas. They help small-scale farmers increase their incomes by optimizing opportunities for growth through harvest education, improved technologies, and access to reliable credit. LWR's mission is to help the poor and suffering at every stage of need. Some of the ways you can help 
is to maybe put together a school kit to send to needy children who are unable to afford the supplies needed to attend school. LWR provides a specific list of the items to include where to buy the backpacks and a pattern to sew your own special backpacks if you choose. That has been our good deeds around the world today. I would also like to highlight a website. Um, it is called uh, Christian Theologies. It has a lot of information on charities and um, I think it's Christian theology degrees, that is. Lots of information on charities and things like that. You can find out what's going on around the world. See what everybody is doing to help sustain the needy and help sustain those who are in need. So I wanted to cover the topic of comparison as promised um, at the end of season one. I introduced this message um, on the show. And so today I'm back with part two of this message. Um, I think it's very important to highlight this topic of comparison because people often compare themselves to others, to unrealistic images on TV, radio, whatever. Um, You know, they compare themselves to what's going on around the world and they never really walk in the fullness of who they are in in, in Christ because they're busy, you know, kind of um, being judgmental to themselves and comparing themselves and they need to get a sense of uh, self-love and who they are in Christ so that they can be content and happy with who God made them to be because everyone was perfectly and fearfully made in the image of God. So um, I'm going to introduce the comparison trap part two message and hopefully this will be a great encouragement and a help to whoever's listening to this message. Hi, I'm Sandra Stanley. Welcome to part two of Comparison Trap. Well, ladies, I know last time we unearthed some of our not-so-lovely tendencies to compare. And owning up to those tendencies can be tough, so I'm glad you decided to come back. Hopefully, the daily devotions have been helpful in beginning the process of renewing your mind in Scripture and moving away from the habit of constantly comparing. My favorite devotional was Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It was amazing to me how helpful meditating on that truth was when the inevitable drift toward comparison began. 
Focusing on what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable doesn't leave me much room for comparison. In part one, we introduced the theme of our study, There's No Win in Comparison. We zeroed in on becoming aware of our tendency to compare. Today, I have some great news. We're going to focus on the idea that God has a very strong opinion about you, about your worth, about what He sees when He sees you. And it has nothing to do with your appearance, your size, your bank account, how perfect or imperfect your children are, or even the state of your marriage and relationships. And get this, it even has nothing to do with your past mistakes, failures, or sins. And His opinion of you, God's opinion, is the only one that truly matters. So I want you to lean in and listen closely to this next segment with Andy. Let these truths sink deeply into your heart. I think you just might find that God's view of you will begin to heal some places inside of you that have been hurting for a while. While it's, while it's true that there's no win in comparison, it's equally true that we all look somewhere or at someone to determine how we're doing. We all look somewhere or at, at someone to determine if we're okay. So here's a question, and it's probably an embarrassing question for most of us. Where do you look? Where do you look to determine how you are doing? Neighbors, look at your neighbors. Neighborhood, or it's that neighborhood that you drive through and you think if we ever lived here, then we would be doing okay. For many of us, it's our kids, our kids' grades, our kids' friends, our, you know, where our kids are gonna go to college and you know, you're holding a six month old and you've already decided where he or she is going to college and you've already decorated their room to begin to renew their minds where they're gonna go to school. And it's either where you went to school or where you wish you could have gone to school or it's at least as good a school as your brother or sister are planning to send where they're gonna send their kids. So is it your kids? Is it a, your siblings? Is it a brother or sister? Is it a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law? Is that how you determine how well you're doing? Either you feel pretty good about where you are or you realize you gotta step it up a little bit. Maybe it's the bank. For men, this is such a big deal. It's so much about money. It's so much about profession. It's so much about career. It's so much about image. It's so much about being respected by other people. Or perhaps for you, the place you look to determine how well you're doing is the mirror. So here's what I want us to do to get this session started off. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to tell them where you look for affirmation. I'm just kidding. That would be like the worst possible thing in the world, wouldn't it? Do not do that. You should not do that because you will lose friends or you will lose the respect of your friends, right? If I were to tell you where I look most of the time for affirmation to answer the question of how am I doing, you would probably either get up and leave or you would probably just hit stop and, and have coffee and dessert. But all of us, isn't it true? All of us look somewhere. And the reason we all look somewhere to answer the question, how am I doing, how am I doing, how am I doing, how am I doing in comparison to the people around us is because all of us, including me, and I'm a pastor, you would think I would be beyond this and above this. All of us hear that same little voice in our heads. All of us hear that same whisper. And here's what that voice says. You need more of what they have to be respectable, acceptable, and lovable. You need more of what they have to be respectable, acceptable, 
and lovable. And then the strangest thing happens. As we get to know other people, we realize that many of those people that we look to to determine how we're doing, they hear the same little voice in their head. And many of them are looking at aspects of your life to determine how well they are doing. But here's the great news, here's the great news. Christianity, Christianity, and Jesus in particular, offers a brand new way forward. That Christianity actually addresses this issue, this tension, like no other world religion, and gives us an answer that's not provided anywhere else in culture. And the Apostle Paul, as who many of you knew, wrote letters that became that comprised over half the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, who came to the game of Christianity late in life, the Apostle Paul, who walks onto the scene of history as someone who persecuted the local church and then actually became a Christian, the Apostle Paul, in a letter to a group of churches in a Roman province called Galatia, gives us an insight that's so extraordinarily powerful that if it were ever to go from here to here, it would totally change. It would create a radical change in our hearts as it relates to this whole issue of where we look to determine how well we are doing. So let me read a couple of these verses to you, explore a few words, and then we'll move on to an application. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in the little letter we call Galatians. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Now let me talk a little bit about this word law. Here's what God's law represented to Jewish people and here's what God's law represents to many of us as well. God's law is a mirror that reflects the fact that something is wrong. God's law is like a mirror that reflects the the fact for all of us that something is wrong. Not only are we unwilling or unable to keep God's law, most of us can't keep our own laws. When people push back and say, Andy, I don't believe in sin, I say, well, wait a minute. You have standards you set for yourself you don't even keep. What if there's a God who has a standard? If you can't keep your standards, surely you're not gonna keep God's. But the law is a reminder that something is wrong with us, us that on our own, we are not okay and we never will be. That was the purpose and that was the role of the law. And a 10-foot ceiling in your home and a size four, will not fix that. No matter what you accomplish and no matter what you have and no matter what your boyfriend or husband accomplishes, there will always be something inside of you and inside of me that reminds me that something is not right. And the reason is because when sin entered the world, the creator-creation relationship was broken. And consequently, there is a thread of insecurity that leaves all of us looking around instead of looking Paul continues. He said, but God sent his son to redeem those under the law. So all of us were born under the law. All of us were born broken. All of us, regardless of what your religious background is, all of us know something is wrong and we know something is wrong with us. And as we get to know other people, we recognize that something's wrong with everyone. And yet the scripture teaches and Paul tells us that God sent his son into this world to redeem those under the law and we are those under the law. Now we all understand what the word redeem means. We, we use this all the time and in, in, in day to day in our economy, we, we all have things that we redeem. The term redeem actually means to purchase by means of a trade. All of you have done this, all of us have done this. You have something, you take it to the store, you hand it to the clerk, they give you something in return. To redeem something is to purchase by means of a trade. Now, here's, here's an important question. Do you know what determines the value of a thing? Now, all of you shop, we all love to shop. 
Some of you wait for sales. You pick up things, you think I would never spend this much for this. Then you show up two weeks later, it's on sale and you think now I can purchase it. Do you know what determines the value of a thing? The price it will bring. If you've ever tried to sell a house, you understand this. That house was worth so much to you. It just wasn't worth that much to anybody else. Remember that? And then something horrible happened. You found the other house. You found the perfect house. And now you had this dilemma. You're trying to sell one that you think is this valuable. You're trying to purchase one that you think is this valuable, but the owner thinks it's this valuable. At the end of the day, what determines the price, or what determines, I should say, the value of a house? What determined, ultimately, the value of the house you were trying to sell? The price it would bring. The value of a thing is always determined by the price it would bring. Now, this is a very important idea that Paul's introducing us to. Think about this. The only way, the only way to determine your value is to auction yourself off to the highest bidder. The only way to understand your true value is to auction yourself off to the highest bidder, and that is the gospel. That is at the epicenter of Christianity, because in Christianity, we are taught that every single one of us has been purchased. We have been bought. As Paul says, we have been redeemed with a very specific price, and we were purchased with the life of God's Son. And the fact that God would spend that much on you determined in that moment your value and your worth. Because the value of a thing is always determined by the price it would bring. And the Apostle Paul tells us, the Gospels tell us, at the epicenter of Christianity is this simple message that you were considered by God so valuable that he sent his son into this world to buy you back, to buy you back from the dungeon, from the prison of sin, that you've been bought with a price, and then here's the beautiful thing. You have been given the status of daughter of God. And then Paul introduces us to a word that we think we know what it means, but in our culture it means something very different than it did in Paul's culture. He says this. He says, God sent his son to redeem those under the law, that's us, that we might receive Adoption. Now, here's something really interesting. In the Old Testament, there is no word for adoption. Ancient Hebrews had no word for adoption because they didn't, adoption didn't exist. If something happened to a child's parents, the kids simply went to a brother or a sister or a relative. The idea of adopting someone that was not related to you into your family just didn't exist. But when Paul wrote this letter to the Christians living in Galatia, adoption was a thing. It was a Roman thing. But Romans and people in the first century, the Greeks and the Romans, they never adopted babies ever because babies died. They never adopted children (laughs) because as you know, you never know how a child is gonna turn out. So they did something unheard of. In the Roman culture, they only adopted adults. They waited to see how someone was gonna turn out and then they decided, you know what? I would like to adopt you. It's given some of you some ideas, right? You've met some of your, if you, those of you who have college students, you know, your kids are college students, you've met some of their friends and you think, you think, you know what, I would like to adopt you. You have a future. You're 23 years old. I know where you're going in life. Well, that's how, the, that's how they thought in the first century in ancient Rome. In fact, here's an interesting little story. Caesar Augustus, you remember the Christmas story in those days, Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus was the very first emperor of Rome. Caesar Augustus knew that he wanted one of his his children to become the heir, to become the next emperor of Rome. But he didn't like any of his children. 
So the next emperor after Caesar Augustus was Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius Caesar was not related to Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus adopted Tiberius when Tiberius was, wait for it, 40 years old. He thought, this guy's got it going on. He adopted Tiberius Caesar and he became the next emperor of Rome. Paul says, this is what's so powerful. Paul says that when God adopted you into his family, he wasn't thinking thinking of you as an innocent little baby. God knew every single thing about you. God knew your childhood, your middle age, your adulthood. You know, he knew every single thing about you and adopted you with a full picture in mind and chose to give you the status of daughter of the living God. The value of a thing is always determined by the price it will bring. You have been considered worthy, worthy of the son of God. Now, let me ask you another kind of tricky question. Who would, think about this, who would perfect parents compare their children to? Who would perfect parents con- compare their children to? The answer is no one. Even pretty good parents don't, con- don't compare their children to other children. But a perfect parent would never, ever compare their children to another child. So here's a question for you. Who does your Heavenly Father, compare you to? The answer is no one, no one. In fact, I wanna ask that question again, and this time I want you to give me the answer. Who does your Heavenly Father compare you to? Who? Absolutely no one. It's as if God speaks over you this sentence. It's as if he says, you are fine because you're mine. You're fine because you're mine. You keep looking around at what everybody else is doing and what everybody else has and how their children are doing and you determine your worth by comparing yourself to other people and your heavenly father says, I don't do that. I've never compared you to anyone else. You are fine because you are mine and if you ever wonder how much you're worth, you don't look around, you look up because the value of a thing is always determined by the price that it will bring. So to escape the comparison trap, as we begin to claw our way out, as we begin to renew our mind, as we begin to think differently, to escape the comparison trap, we must begin to take our cues from the one who made us, loves us, and redeems us. Specifically, take your cue about you. Take your cue about you from the one who made you, loves you, and redeemed you. You will never have peace, and you know this, you will never have peace until you accept God's estimation of you based on the price he paid for you. There is no peace found anywhere else other than right there. I mentioned earlier that we have three kids, have two sons and a daughter. When Allie was a very, very little girl, I started playing this little game with her, and I, I don't know that it's a good idea. Much of what I do as a parent, I don't say is good for modeling. I can just tell you what I did and how it turned out, okay? But one of the things I began to do, because this was important to me, and you can understand this, I began to ask her this question. I would say, Allie, if anyone ever asks you, does your daddy love you, you look at them and say, oh yeah, 
Oh, yeah. So, Allie, if, any, if, you're, if anyone ever asks you, does your daddy love you? You look at him and you just say, oh, yeah. So we would just do this all the time. I'd put her to bed at night. And, Allie, when you go to school tomorrow, if somebody asks you, what do you say? Oh, yeah. She'd come in. Hey, Allie. And we, we just, this went on for years and years and years. And as is the case with much of what I did as a parent, it went on a little bit too long. So she's 12 years old. I'm still saying, hey, Allie, if anybody asks you if you're... So one day, you, you, you can picture this. So one day, she's... And you, I remember where we were standing. She just come through the garage door, and we we're standing there outside the kit, by the kitchen. I said, Allie, if anybody ever asks you, does your daddy love you? What are you going to say? She says, Dad. You know, <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> Y'all are way better at that than I'll ever be. <laughs> she said, Dad, nobody ever asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Allie, I know that. And I never expected anyone ever would. But the reason that I told you to say, oh yeah, it's not important to me. It's not important to me that other people know I love you. It's important to me that you know I love you. So ladies, I want to ask you a question. You already know the answer. Does your heavenly father love you? Oh, yeah. Does your heavenly father love you? Oh, yeah. Then you don't need to look around. Besides, it won't help. It won't help because at the end of the day, there's no win in comparison. I don't know how Andy's story about Allie lands with you. Maybe you had a dad who was completely engaged growing up. He made sure you knew you were loved and that in his eyes, you were overwhelmingly valuable. And it might be easy for you to embrace the idea that when God sees you, he sees a woman of great worth. He sees a woman who has no need for constantly comparing herself to other people or looking around for her approval and value. Or maybe you have tears in your eyes right now wishing you'd had a dad who had made you feel that kind of value and worth. It's a little bit of a stretch, a little bit harder for you to get your arms around the idea that God, your heavenly father, is completely different from the earthly father you've known. Regardless of where you land in terms of your own experience with your dad, renewing your mind to the truth of how God sees you is of utmost importance. Sometimes, even though I have a great earthly dad, it's hard to hang on to the truth of how God sees me. There are numerous areas in which I have to constantly renew my mind to truth. The process always involves removing a wrong way of thinking and replacing that with a right way of thinking. I like to think of it as God showing me a lie I'm believing and replacing it with a truth from His Word. And it is a process. It's not like pressing a magic button and all of a sudden I'm thinking correctly and not comparing myself anymore, not looking in the wrong direction for my value. It's more like a daily ridding myself of a bad habit and replacing it with a good one. It's a process. It's hard work. But down the road a little bit, I find that the truth becomes my default and the lie slowly disappears. I have two favorite ways to renew my mind, scripture memory and songs that are filled with the truth I need to hear. I want you to pick a verse to memorize from this week's devotional. Memorizing it will go a long way in renewing your mind to the truth that God sees you as completely valuable. He made you uniquely you for a reason. You can look to Him for your worth, 
for your affirmation, and for the amazing truth that you are highly valued by Him. Listening to songs with great lyrics is another way to get rid of wrong thinking and renew your mind to right thinking. Find some songs that speak to your heart and move you in the direction of believing that you matter so much to God, just the way you are. As you answer today's discussion questions, keep this in the forefront of your thinking. When God sees you, He sees His beautiful, gifted, talented daughter, and He loves you more than the best earthly father ever could. So like Andy said, take your cue about you from the one who made you, the one who loves you, and the one who redeemed you by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. You are that valuable to Him. He says to you, you are fine because you're mine.
That is all the time that we have for the show today. May God pour out his blessings on you until we meet again.